The main text for this morning, our service, John 14, the verses 28 and 29. Then we read as follows, Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye love me, ye would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. So far, Christ's words of farewell. It's the farewell chapter, John 14. So Christ's words of farewell. Four thoughts. Words regarding his father. It's remarkable how often the Lord Jesus in this final discourse speaks of his father in heaven. So the words of the father. Secondly, words of love. After reading this passage about the love of God. In the third place, words of comfort. It's filled this chapter with comfortable words for the church and for sinners. And in the fourth place, words of encouragement to believe. Believing is a key word as well in this chapter. So Christ's words of farewell, words regarding his father, words of love, words of comfort, and words of encouragement. Congregation, assume you are sick and very ill and close to death. You know it, and the doctors know it, and your children know it. You're around the bed. You're laying there. You're not doing well. You feel it coming closer and closer. The time, the time of your departure. You would like to say something yet. And suppose you have the strength to say a few words yet. Your last words to your children. Your farewell words. What would you say? If if I ask. What would you say? We had a good life together. Thank you for everything. Sorry for my mistakes I've made. And what else? Would it be also a farewell like Jacob or Paul or Simeon or like the old Jacob? He called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you And he said, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into his bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. So he had the children around his bed. And he spoke of his salvation. And he he died there after that. What if you could die that way? full assurance of the faith and the salvation. 
or think of the beautiful way Simeon spoke, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. What about dying that way? I've seen thy salvation. It's, it's good. I can go. I'm prepared. The Lord made it well for him. And the Apostle Paul also in Acts 20, when he was leaving the congregation of Ephesus, he called the elders and said, Now behold, I go bound into the Spirit and to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So finish my course with joy. It's a farewell. Well, chapter 14 is also part of the farewell of the Lord Jesus. He spoke his last words to his disciples and said, I'm going, I'm leaving. And he spoke about the past and he spoke about the present and he spoke about the future. That's, that's special. So let us have a closer look at that. What the Lord was saying about the Father there. Because I, I counted, I, I read the chapter over three, four times. Right? That's what you do when you prepare a sermon. The chapter. Look at the chapter, the, the context. What does it mean? And I've, I counted 23 times. The word Father. So it also makes you aware that there is something special between Christ and the Father. There was such a special relationship. The Father was extremely important to the Lord Jesus. He did not separate from the Father. There was part of his life on earth to do the will of his Father. So that's how, that's how we read about that Christ says that he is in the Father. I am in him. And also the other way, the Father is in him. So he is in the Father and the Father is in him. He says in the chapter. In other words, saying, we are so close. He is in me and I am in him. Oh, the Father has sent him, he, he, he says. He has sent me. And he commanded to love him. And I obey him. He writes also at the very beginning already of this chapter, in my father's house. So it was his father's house, not his house, only the father's house. And in my father's house there are many mansions, there are many rooms in the house. Oh, he writes in this chapter, sinners are coming 
to the Father by him. That's how close they are. Nobody can come to the Father but by him. Oh, Christ is loved by the Father. The Father is in him, and in the Father also love one another. That's part of it, right? The Father is greater than Christ. Christ loves the Father. Who has seen Christ has seen the Father. That's how close the Father and the Son are. If someone has seen the Father, he has seen Christ. If someone has seen Christ, he has seen the Father. And he also speaks about the future. Christ goes to the Father. Essentially, I go to my Father. And the Father will send the Holy Ghost. And the Father will be glorified in the Son. And Christ will pray to the Father. You know what you could do this afternoon, young people? Open this chapter, John 14, and make a list of what it says about the Father. So those 23 lines, what does it say about the Father? He prays to the Father, he's sent by the Father, he loves the Father, he's in the Father, and you make a list of that. And then you sit back and you say, what a closeness, what a tenderness, so close to the Father. They are one. And that God, the Father, has sent His only begotten Son to save a people from their sins. About the holy unity, about the great tenderness. And what does that mean to us? Well, part of it is this, that Christ has come to bring us to the Father. So that you might be able to say, our Father. So Christ is not only the Father, Christ does not have a Father in heaven, he also wants sinners to become children of the Father so that they are adopted by him. So there are people on earth God's people, they've been adopted, and they are family of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus is their oldest brother, and he brings them to the Father, and they are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's how close they are. So have you ever said from the heart, our Father, which said in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You can say it in a flippant way so that you, that you don't even think about it when you say Father. But if you may know that he brings to the Father, that if you may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in, that, in, the, in the saving sense, to have a Father in heaven, So there was a great tenderness and love between the Father and the Lord Jesus. And on Ascension Day, the Lord Jesus goes to the Father. And he loves that with his human nature. 
And he told the disciples about that. I go to my father. So that's why the disciples were so joyful when they saw going to the father. And they went back to Jerusalem rejoicing. Because they know this was not a reason to to feel sad about. The Lord Jesus rejoiced in going back home and being with his father. And that's also a picture of heaven, not what has there been when the Father has all his children together, when they are before the throne and rejoicing in God. Words regarding the Father. Let's go to the second part. Words of love. So as I said, I just went over this chapter several times. And you just look at regularities and words that have been repeated. If, if a word occurs more than two, three times in a chapter, you may not ignore it. It should be part of the sermon. Because it stands out in the chapter. So you can't say, I forget about that now. So the word love is at least ten times in, in this chapter. So you have to talk about it. Whatever text it is in this chapter. Love. It starts already in verse chapter 13. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world, and to the Father having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So it is about love. Love is crucial in the Bible and crucial in John and crucial in this chapter. We are all called to love God above all, right? And our neighbor as ourselves. Love is a key word here. And you see it also in, in, in this whole chapter. Christ loves the Father. The Father loves him. And sinners are loved by Christ. And Christ loves them. And that love is eternal. God the Father loved the Son and the Son the Father from eternity. So that is part of God. God is love. We also learn from this chapter that God's children love. They also love him back. He loved first and they love him back. They love God. They hunger for him. They are thirsty for him. If someone is loving someone, that means that you have a desire for closeness, right? And tenderness. And so Christ loved God. And the love of God filled his own heart. So it means a hungering for him. It means a desiring God. Desiring God more than the desire money and fame and entertainment and whatever you desire in this world. And did the Lord Jesus not ask the Apostle Peter if he loved him? 
Love is the army. Peter. You know that Bible story. If eventually he says, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. That's important. Three times Lord Jesus asked and was sad. Peter felt sad that was the he asked three times and yet Lord had to ask him. And eventually he um, if he could say it, thou knowest all things. Love is fundamental. Look also at verse twenty one. And 22. He that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. See the verse 21? Again. He that has my commandments and keepeth them. God's children have a desire to keep them. They fall in sin, and yet they are keeping the commandments of the Lord. Because it is love of the heart. He it is that loveth me. If people don't obey me and just take it on out and, 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 and disobey my commandments, then they don't love me. But if they keep it, they love me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. See, again, the Father. So them that love me, the Lord Jesus says, that love by the Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So there's love from all different sides. Love for the commandments. A love by the Father. A love of the Lord Jesus. Judas Iscariot was one of the disciples who did not love him, right? He loved money. Love is a choice. But more than that, love is also an emotion. You cannot say, I love the Lord, but I don't feel anything. I've talked to people in the past when I was a teacher in college. And I, I taught theology. And I remember a future teacher in the pew saying, I love the Lord, but I never feel anything. I love the Lord, I never feel anything. I said, are you dating she said, yes, I am. I said, but it would make sense to say I love him, but I never feel anything about him? She said, yeah, that, that's different. That's not a good example, she said. But it is. Because love without emotion is no love. Love is not only a choice. It's also something in the heart. You feel something. You feel, you look up to someone, you feel there's warmth there in your heart, and appreciation, and tenderness. Love is only. So we must examine ourselves, right? If we love him, 
the Lord loves first. That first thing will love him. If ye love me, ye would rejoice, it says in our text. You've heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice. If you love me, ye would rejoice. Because if there's a real love, there's joy. Rejoicing in God. When young people are dating, they rejoice in one another. If you, if you know, if, if you know no joy in her, no joy in him, then they stop it and don't marry. There be joy in the relationship, and that's also here. This joy between God and His people, the, the, the Lord rejoicing in them, and they rejoicing in Him. A joy in Christ. If you love me, you would rejoice. Because I said I go to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Loving him. Loving him in his names. Loving him in his works. Loving him in his natures. Loving him in his invitations. Loving him in his word. Loving, loving him in his offices. Loving him in his states, in his humiliation and exaltation. There's so much to love and to see and to be revealed from Christ. I also would like to point out to John 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. So the Lord Jesus works in the heart also love for sinners among God's people. God's people love God's people. They love, they love God's people love sinners. They love one another. It's not only between God and them, so so horizontally. It's love for the church. And that's typically Christian. Because the world also speaks about love. But it is selfish love. But the church speaks about, the Bible speaks about a sacrificial love. To give. To forgive. To be kind, to provide. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. So, do we show that? Do parents show that to the children? That they love one another? Do we show that in the church, in our community, in our world? Is it not typically Christian to love and to sacrifice and to give? So the Lord Jesus is speaking the last words before he returns to the Father. And he's saying that they should be loving one another. That is so important, the love of God. Brings you the third thought. 
the world self-comfort. You read in this text, in this chapter, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The Lord Jesus did not want his disciples to be troubled. He wanted to comfort them. He wanted them to have peace and calm in their hearts. So before he died, the Lord Jesus spoke to them and said, you know, my father, my father, my father. And he said, there's love everywhere. You also need to love one another. And he comforted them. Imagine someone on his deathbed comforting you. Not you comforting him or her, but he comforting you. I, I, I go my way. I depart. I, I go home. But you need that love. And I need to comfort you. And say something positive. And he did. So you read that in verse 14, in 14 verse 1, but also in verse 3. He comforted them with saying, I will, and I, and, I, and I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that, that I am, that ye may be also. You see it in verse 3, what a comfort. If I go and prepare a place for you, place for you, I will come again. I come again. In what sense? <clears throat> what did Lord Jesus mean? You say the second coming. That's maybe part of it. Also another way of coming. He was coming on Pentecost. In the spirit. Lord Jesus said, I return. I return to my father. But when I return to my father, I have a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself. Receive you unto myself. I would like to be united with you as well. Not only a unison between the father and the son, also between God and, and sinners. I will come again. I will come again in the second coming. I will come again in, 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 in Pentecost. In, in, the, in the spirit, the Lord Jesus will come back. And the, one of the other key texts in this chapter is verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. See it in verse 18? I will not leave you comfortless. That's a very interesting verse. Because although you don't know Greek, you, don't, you know the Greek word that's in the Bible here. You know the word. Comfortless, for me to say it in Greek, orphanos. Orphanos. I will not leave you orphans. Understand? And that's why this Sunday, this Sunday between Ascension Day and Pentecost, is called Orphan Sunday. I don't know, maybe you have never heard about that. But today is Orphan Sunday. And Orphan Sunday means 
because Jesus has said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come back. But this Sunday he had not come back yet, right? Because on Thursday we commemorated Ascension Day. And today the Lord Jesus had not come back yet. It's the next Sunday on Pentecost. So Orphan Sunday. I don't know why our translators have translated comfortless. So as I'm concerned, all Dutch translations and other translations, they all have orphans. But I admit that being an orphan is having no comfort. And not leaving you comfortless makes also sense for orphans. So the Lord Jesus encouraged them and said to his disciples, don't worry. I'm leaving, but I don't leave you comfortless. I will come to you. See, in verse 18, I will come to you. And I will come to you. Oh, sorry, first to the day of Pentecost. I will come to you in, my, in, in the spirit. What a comfort. It's in this whole chapter. Also in verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What a beautiful verse is that, verse 27. Peace to Lord Jesus on his deathbed, so to speak speaking to his disciples, encouraging them, and saying to them, peace I live with you. It's good between you and us, between you and me. I live with you. My peace I give unto you. Only you could die that way with that peace. <clears throat> but anyway, the Lord Jesus also speaking not only to the disciples, the time also to the disciples today. My peace I give unto you. So different than the peace of the world. The world also gives peace. But that's a false peace. That's a temporary peace. That's not a heartfelt peace. That's shallow peace. But this is the true peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world. Let not your heart be troubled. Children God, let not your heart be troubled. You look at the circumstance, don't you? You look at your own heart. Don't, don't, don't do that. It's, it's not because of you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let be afraid. The Lord cares for his church. And the Lord Jesus leaving them, but he's saying, I comfort you. And I come back to you, and I don't leave you comfortless. I don't leave you without a father. And also in verse 28, right? You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. I go away and come again on, on Pentecost. If you love me, you would rejoice because, because I said I go into the Father, for my Father is greater than I. So he repointed to the Father, respecting the Father, and saying, 
look at the Father and seek it all in Him. He is coming again to them. He will not leave them comfortless. You also read about that in John 16. These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. See? So Christ has reasons to say this. He is able to provide that peace and to give that true comfort. The world does not give it. Do you know examples of that? Did the Lord Jesus comforted people? And did he still comfort? What about him speaking to, the, to those two men of Emmaus? They were troubled in heart. And the Lord Jesus spoke to them and opened the scriptures and showed them the only comfort. Their hearts started burning in them. And they, the, Lord, the, the Lord opened his word to them. What a blessing it was to them. So the Lord Jesus still comfort. He comforted his disciples before the outpouring of Pentecost, of the Holy Spirit, and he still does that. He spoke to Mary Magdalene. This by saying Mary. And she said, Rabona. There was a closeness. He spoke to all his disciples. He spoke to Thomas, didn't he? He is comforting them. Do you know of that comfort? Do you seek your comfort in sin, in alcohol, in marijuana, in false intimacy? And maybe do you look for your comfort? You know, there's in the dictionary a word. It kind of puzzles me. Dutch courage. You ever heard about that? Dutch courage? That's not the other thing. Dutch courage means courage received by drinking alcohol. Apparently it was the Dutch that were known for that. So I hope that's not the case among us. Let's seek our, our comfort in the Bible. Comfort in God. Comfort in Christ. Comfort in that peace. Is there no God in Israel that you look for comfort somewhere else? You don't need to look anywhere else. It, it's in the Lord. It's the God of Israel who is able to comfort to the uttermost. So I see the Lord Jesus talking to his disciples before his death and before his resurrection, already talking about Ascension Day. You know, in our, in our thoughts, Ascension Day is one of the less important Christian feasts. We think of something like Christmas that's, that's big, the birth of Christ. We think of the crucifixion, that's big, right? He said it's finished. We think about his resurrection, he received from his father the approval again. But actually, Ascension Day is even more important. 
which the Lord Jesus has sent to his Father and from heaven prays for his people and comforts his people, holding on to his people. And that's why they rejoice. The words of farewell of Christ, the words regarding the Father, the words of love, words of comfort. But now you say, how do I receive that comfort? How does it come and become mine? How do I receive that peace? Well, our fourth one. The Father is a keyword. Love is a keyword in this chapter. And also the word believing. Seven times believing. Let me show it to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. It's two times already. And verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. And also now a text, verse 29, and now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. So without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without a hand, I cannot receive anything. I need a hand to receive. And so the Lord works faith, the hand of faith to receive it. And apparently there is a difference between believing in God and believing in Christ. The Jewish people believed in God, the God of the Bible. But the Lord Jesus teaching them in his ministry on earth, that they could not get access to the Father but by him. So they had to believe in him in order to believe in the Father. That's the difference also today. Because children also need to learn this, that they do not only believe in the Father, but also believe in Christ, who is the Savior, who brings to the Father. Of course, when the Lord Jesus works in the hearts, the first thing God's people experience is that they are missing the Father, missing God. They don't, it does not start missing Christ. They're missing God. And in order to, to receive peace, they, they look in the Bible and, they, and they, they try to find encouraging words and the Lord uses them to encourage them, but the Lord also shows them that it's only in the Lord Jesus. So in a simple way, are you seeking God? Are you seeking forgiveness? Are you seeking peace? Are you seeking comfort? Yes? then you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only in the Father, also in the Son, who came to bring to God. Because then you see Christ, you see the Father. Without Christ, there is no access. So you need to have a distinct 
specific knowledge of the second person, of the Lord Jesus. You need to know him, not only God, but him. You believe in God, that's good. Believe also in me, he said. So do you believe in God? I think, I think most people say, yes, I, I believe in God. You also believe in Christ. That's important. Believe also in me. Jesus said unto him, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Why do I quote this verse? Because in verse 6, I don't see anything about believing, do I? Yes, I do. No man cometh unto the Father. So coming is the same as believing. Believing in the Lord Jesus, coming to him, walking up to him, taking refuge unto him. So do you believe in God? Believe also in him, come unto him. Come in. And in verse 7, something similar. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. We're to know, right? To know him, to know the Father, and henceforth ye know him, have seen him. So, believing is also to know him. To acknowledge him. To have communion with him. To acknowledge, to know is, 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 is a very deep word in the Bible. So, the Lord Jesus spoke to his disciples about believing. Believe also in me, disciples, and come to me. And know me. And see See me. Don't ignore me. See me. See that? And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Have you seen him? Looked upon him? Come to him? And also believed in him? The believing is also connected in verse 28 to rejoicing, right? You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice. Because I said I go to my Father. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when this come to pass, you might believe. So in that believing is also rejoicing. In, in the loving, in the comfort, in the believing is a joy, an appreciation. If the joy is missing, there's no love. If the joy is missing, there's no believing. John 5 is also clear about that. Verily, verily, amen, amen, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me 
has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. See, has everlasting life. That's important. So let me mention a few more things about that believing. John 6, and then I just quote those, those texts and talk about them. Think of you being on your deathbed and your children or beloved ones around your bed, maybe your parents, and they're listening, right? What will she say? Maybe they just are very close to your lips because they won't, they won't, won't hear it. But what does what she say yet? A very last word. John 6. Then said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? The crowd, the Pharisees said it, right? What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Because Lord Jesus had multiplied the fish and the bread. Well, what can we do? And Lord Jesus answered them, This is the work of God. That ye believe on him whom he has sent. So what did you need to do to be saved? What do I have to do? What work? What shall we do that we might work the works of God? You don't have to work. This is the work of God that ye believe in him. Meaning that you don't work and that you don't do anything yourself anymore. But let the Lord do the work. Believe in God. Believe also in me. John 11, you remember Martha, right? The busy Martha. And the Lord Jesus spoke to her. I am the resurrection and the life. Her brother Lazarus had died, right? The Lord Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So then people feel so dead, and are so dead as Lazarus was. Lazarus really dead. But he said, if you believe in me, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So you don't have to feel alive. Some people, they just throw things around. Right? And they, they see the wrong. You don't have to have life first and then to believe. There's you feel so dead and believing in him. Though he were dead. And don't forget that this believing is crucial and that you cannot miss it. Without faith it is impossible to please him. He that cometh to God, see that is believing, he that cometh to God, 
must believe that he is and is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's a rewarder of them that seek him. You remember Abraham, right? Abraham was standing outside the tent and the Lord, the Lord spoke to him that his seed will be as stars in the heaven. And Abraham believed in God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. It was so special to the Lord. The Lord saw that Abraham just simply believed in him. A farewell. What are you going to say when you die? When you must depart, are you uh, an orphan yet? Has the Spirit not worked in you? The Lord Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what a blessing it will be if you, before you die, maybe, maybe years before you die, maybe 10 years before you die, Already have a farewell. Or maybe you can write one. Why don't you write a farewell to your children and beloved ones? And you just don't let anyone read it. You just put it in an envelope. You put it on the outside. Read it after I die. And just tell something about yourself. And encourage your beloved ones. And Maybe, maybe it's easier. Maybe you don't get the, 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 the chance to say something, right? Maybe you can just, in action, just, just die. And just, you haven't said anything. What would you read? Just think about it, think it over today. Maybe you can start. Dear children. Or something. Previously, I was... Something has changed. This has changed. Nothing has changed yet. Maybe I have no hope. Just be honest. And, 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 and tell them to see the Lord. The Apostle Paul wrote in um, farewell also in 2 Timothy 4. Let me just quote that as the end of the sermon. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, this is laid up for me, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Amen.